yesterday I was posting on chrislist.substack.com and almost all of the pieces that I do that are, you know, that involve COVID or mRNA injections or all that stuff. I always link pretty rigorously to them. You know, there's this kind of rule. I think Ted Bell mentioned this on one of his podcasts that if you're saying something against the narrative, you got to be 10 times more rigorous, 10 times more accurate than the person who's saying something pro narrative who can just get away with saying shit. Like the New York times will just say stuff that's not only false, but they don't even try to support it with a link to anything or, or any sort of evidence whatsoever behind their statements. It's just because it's pro narrative. They just assume they get away with it. But if you're going to say something against the narrative, you got to be 10 times more rigorous. But so I was looking for links to support what I was saying. I mean, I knew it was true because I'd remembered, you know, just over the last few years, like all reading all this stuff, but I actually wanted to have a link for the reader of the post. And I was searching on, I don't use Google anymore, but I was searching on DuckDuckGo, which I used to use because it purported to give you privacy. It wouldn't track your searches. I don't even know if that's true. I'm starting to doubt that. And when you typed in something like mRNA side effects or CDC lied or any, anything like that, you just get a stream of pro-narrative propaganda articles and you can never find the thing you're looking for. And I realized like search engines are dead. The search engines are just complete propaganda. And even though I am annoyed with Twitter and I very much dislike the Linda Yaccarino hiring and the fact that she could say something like lawful yet awful will be throttled. And then I felt that my own posts were throttled. Twitter is still, and I don't, this will probably change and it's probably not perfect, but it's right now the only search engine that you really have. Like if you want to search for something, some, some way to link to something to back up your claims, some studies that show that the uh, mRNA injections caused myocarditis, especially in 16 to 24 year old males, um, you can find that if you search Twitter, it's much harder to find that searching one of the other search engines and that's fucked. But I guess people are starting to know now that like Wikipedia and Google and DuckDuckGo, those aren't really information providers anymore. Those are propaganda outlets. And it's funny that Google's mission initially was to organize the world's information and it just became a propaganda outlet. And it's funny, like the AI chat GPT is basically the same, right? Like if you search and ask it for stuff, about the mRNA shot. It's just a propaganda outlet because it scrapes other propaganda outlets and it's the people who created it are, are on board with the narrative. So Twitter, to Elon Musk's credit still, I'll give him a little credit here, is the search engine. If you want to find anything that's, you can search Twitter and you'll get people talking about stuff and then they will link to actual studies and posts that you can link to in an article or even just, you know, if you're having a, discussion on it, you know, inform yourself. So Twitter is the last existing search engine. DuckDuckGo is a disgrace. I mean, what a disgrace. Why even bother? Why even start that site? If you're just going to fall into line, this is the problem. It's the problem with all these, you know, the better sites and I'll get into Substack and Rumble and some of the better ones and the problem that they're going to face the same pressures eventually. We'll see if they haven't really caved yet, but they might. Uh, speaking of Rumble, so Russell Brand, he got demonetized from YouTube, like a million bucks. I don't know how much he makes, a million bucks a year on it. I don't know how much he made. Uh, he probably doesn't need the money that badly. He's doing pretty well. But as you probably know, he was accused of rape and a bunch of sexual assault from various people over the last, I don't know, 20 years, 15, 20 years. And he had been pretty explicit about 
his poor behavior and drug addiction in the past, but that would not absolve him if he raped somebody, obviously just being like, you know, that, that whole, like, Oh, he's a drug addict. Like he's in recovery. Oh, I'm going to therapy. Now Harvey Weinstein went to therapy and they were, Oh, he's in therapy. Oh, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to better himself like that kind of shit. Nobody gives a fuck. And that's not even relevant. But the thing with Russell Brand is, and I kind of like his show. I don't listen to that much of it, but I heard clips here and there and he's, he's smart. He's uh, perceptive and he's a very, very talented performer. Like I do these podcasts and I make my case and I make my points, but Russell Brand is far more talented at performing it, you know, at making it funny and uh, more accessible to everybody. And that's good. He's a good, you know, he's a very uh, important voice for the truth. I think, I think he's a very important voice for what's true. And to kind of cut through the propaganda and he's good at it. And of course he's criticized the pharmaceutical companies, the military industrial complex, the war in Ukraine, all of it, and all the same shit that everybody who is interested in the truth is basically criticizing. And he's done it with uh, skill. And so this accusation comes up and if it's true, you know, he deserves to wh whatever the appropriate punishment is. If he were convicted of rape, you know, go to prison. But the thing is, and Glenn Greenwald pointed this out that, I think of all the accusations, only one is actually rape. All the other ones were not anything necessarily illegal. And I think the age of consent in the UK was 16. So even though you might find that kind of gross if he was in his 30s, it wasn't illegal. So make of that what you will. But he's just being accused, right? And being accused, especially under these circumstances where he's this prominent critic of powerful people that it comes up now. It didn't come up five years ago when he was just, a goofy comic actor or comedian it's coming up now so you you wonder why is it coming up now that doesn't mean it's false it just means why is it coming up now and to the extent that it is serious and legitimate the courts need to adjudicate this because you cannot just say here's here's an accusation okay now we need to just this guy's not allowed to speak he's not allowed to be heard because you see the problem with that right then all they need to do is find somebody who's critical of the state and float an accusation, and that's sufficient. I mean, the reason we have trials and trials by jury and testimony and witnesses and cross-examination and evidentiary rules is to be sure that if a, if a complaint is raised against somebody, it's given its optimal chance to find what's true or, or if it's not true. And so this is, this is obviously the way the court system works, it's not perfect. Obviously, some people who are accused of something don't have the resources to defend themselves in court. It's it's hard for actual victims to testify. It's you know, it's it's a it's a huge burden after something terrible has happened to you to have to go and talk about it in public in a public forum in a courtroom. So all of these things make uh, the court system far from ideal. The cost of it, everything else. But the alternative is worse. The alternative is anybody can just make an accusation and that itself without any sort of proper proceeding to hear the evidence, to hear both sides, to hear the circumstances is sufficient to ruin somebody. And you just, that's just the way it's been going. You know, I mean, you need courts to determine with proper rules and safeguards what's actually true. Otherwise it's just trial by mob, trial by media mob. And again, the, the circumstances under which this is happening, not five years ago, when he was irrelevant to powerful people he's now pissed off. It didn't come out then. It only comes out now. So to me, this is very sketchy. 
they did it to Julian Assange too. They, they accused him of rape in Sweden and that was the original pretext under which they arrested him. So this is a, a common tactic and it, it's kind of out of a playbook where you, you target the person that, you know, whose influence you want stopped and or you want silenced and you accuse them of things that are horrible. They may be grounded in some truth that he did behave poorly, that he did do something wrong, uh, that he had a pattern of behaving badly. All of these things could be true and it makes it more plausible. It's just disturbing uh, because instead of just having a proper trial and if he is proven to have done that, then he deserves all the punishment, 100%. doesn't matter whether I agree with him politically or think he's valuable to the cause or whatever. That's not really relevant. If you rape somebody, you should be in prison. Whether he did or not, he deserves a trial, right? Even the worst criminals deserve trials. That's sort of the premise of the U.S. Constitution. And this is in the U.K., which is more of a police state. But still, you know, I, I think the principles of the U.S. Constitution are the correct ones that accusing somebody's heavy stuff. You, if you want to take away someone's liberty or, you know, try to deperson them from the public square, uh, you better fucking have the goods and you better be able to prove it. And if you're not willing to prove it and you're just going to go with innuendo in the media on a hit piece, and they knew, by the way, you know, Russell Brand knew that the apparatchiks from the government were getting the media, their, their allies in the media to start asking around because people told him, you know, his ex-girlfriends and ex-relationships, they told him they're being asked about all sorts of stuff that happened back then. And it started, you know, after he became a prominent critic. And that's what's really disturbing is they wouldn't really give a shit what he did um, until he became a critic of the state. So this is, this is disturbing, but I, there is a little bit of an antidote. I don't think Russell Brand can do it because the accusations are a bit serious in his case. And he did behave poorly, whatever, even if he didn't do anything illegal and he did, you know, he was kind of a fuck up and he was a drug addict. And so he was vulnerable to this. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I don't think get, being a drug addict should ever absolve you of guilt, but being a scumbag drug addict, as long as you're not doing anything criminal besides doing the drugs, which probably shouldn't be criminal, that in itself shouldn't doom you to the state being able to crush you and silence you by dredging up your past, unless you've actually done something that bad. So we'll see. I doubt this ever goes to court. This is just sort of the usual smear and innuendo job. And uh, But if, if they're serious, there's no statute of limitations on this. They should take them to court, should try them, and they should you know, get, get everything out in the open. I don't think they're going to do it. I think it's just more of a smear job to try to undermine him and take him down. The good thing is that he's not really beholden. Yeah, he'll lose money from YouTube, but he can go to Rumble, go to Twitter. We'll see if Elon Musk would, would have him on Twitter. But he's got outlets, of course, Noster could bring a shitload of people to Noster. I don't think he knows about it. And he's not even really a Bitcoiner. I think he's, he's said in the past that he's doesn't understand it and sort of scared to put his money there, but it would be an opportunity. But, it, but anyway, it's just, it's just kind of gross the way it's gone down and hundred percent. If he's guilty, he should face every bit of punishment for his crime, but trial by media is no good, but there is a guy who gets this kind of shit also not as serious. He was actually accused of rape it was Dave Portnoy. And that turned out to be a total farce, a total joke. Um, it wasn't remotely rape and he defended himself pretty vigorously and there were no charges pressed. And I think it was business insider was pressing this preposterous claim and, and it kind of had to scurry away tail between his legs. I don't know if he sued them for defamation. It's very hard to sue for defamation if you're a public figure like Russell Brand or Dave Portnoy. But anyway, Dave Portnoy was doing some sort of, and I'm not a huge Portnoy fan either. I think he's a bit of a panderer. Um, and I think he's, you know, he's kind of a, just a bit of a showman. 
but he's also a big and influential figure. And Portnoy, I saw this the other day, he is doing some sort of event with these pizza places. He raised a bunch of money during COVID to keep a lot of places open. And he does those pizza rating segments, which I think are actually pretty funny. I think it's a good idea. He's good at it. I mean, I'm not the biggest Portnoy fan, but some of the stuff he does, he does it well. And he's rating the pizza places and biting the pizza and giving it a grade is good. And so he's doing some sort of event with that. And so he's got sponsors for the event. And apparently some Washington Post reporter was emailing the sponsors and asking if they're aware that Dave Portnoy is a misogynist and a racist, or he said misogynist things and racist things in the past. And so I guess some of the sponsors contacted Portnoy to let him know that like this reporter was harassing them about the event. And so what he did, he says, I go on the offense and he called the reporter because, because her number was in the email that they forwarded to him and she was off guard and he was like, this is Dave. Hi. And she's like, Dave who? And he's like, Dave Portnoy, the person you're writing the hit piece on. And she's like, Oh, hi Dave. And she's, you know, and he's like, why are you doing this? She's like, well, I'm not doing anything like that. We're just, you know, doing a little reporting and I'm not, he's like, well, why are you writing a hit piece? She's like, Oh, I wouldn't say I was a hit piece. She's like, so you haven't like, going to my advertisers and said negative stuff about me. She's like, no. And then he reads her the email where she said that he was a misogynist and a racist. And she's like, well, that one was more pointed. It was more pointed because sometimes we have to say something negative and pointed to get them to respond, to do our reporting. So this call's going on and she wants to talk to him. He's like, why don't you just call me first? Why don't you know, this sounds like a hit piece. And, and it was really good because he exposed that she was doing a sleazy hit piece. And this is the Washington Post. This isn't some, this isn't the Huffington Post, this is the Washington Post. This is a, you know, one of the biggest papers in the United States owned by Jeff Bezos. And they're doing this like hit piece, this sleazy hit piece to try to shame the advertisers and spook advertisers out of, you know, sponsoring an event for someone that they don't like. And this is just fucked up. This isn't journalism. You know, this is some sort of a weaponized agenda purporting to be journalism and these these outlets like the new york times the washington post i mean they're just sleaze it's tabloid stuff and i like the port and i went on the offensive recorded the call put it on twitter you know just exposes these people because the playbook is isolate the target accuse russell brand of rape make get all these photos of him and ominous music and make him sort of radioactive and toxic so that nobody else wants to defend him. You know, if you defend him and, oh, you're for rape, you're, you're, you're defending a rapist, you know, and this, this even happened to me on a very small scale where people are calling me an anti-vaxxer and I'm killing people with misinformation, all this stuff. And it would be hard for even like my colleagues to be like, what are you talking about? You know, like I've known this guy for 20 years. What the fuck are you guys, you know, if, if they, if they had defended me, I mean, I think more of them should have, but had they defended me, like people would have got on them. It just, they try to attack and isolate a, a single person. Now, for me, it was just a bunch of fucking uh, absolute nutless monkeys who were just doing the bidding. They were a volunteer interning for Pfizer, volunteer in for, interning for the disinformation board. Um, who's that crazy woman that they tried to put on the disinformation board? I can't remember her name. And then they kind of scrapped her and they did it like behind the scenes instead. What was her name? The one that was singing those horrible songs. She's just a crazy person. She, they were doing like intern work for her voluntarily. So it was, you know, this is serious. This is like the UK government, like going after Russell Brand via its uh, media proxies. And this is really, really bad. But, you know, if, if you if you make a person radioactive or toxic, you, you start to disincentivize people to protect them. If it's an institution, if you go you know, after the Washington Post, then you have all the lawyers of the Washington Post and the owners and the, 
You know, it's kind of, it's a lot harder to take down an institution than an individual. So they kind of try to isolate these targets and destroy them. And, you know, this is, this is dirty stuff. So I like that Portnoy went on the offense and, and did that. And, I, and I'm just going to go on the offense. It's not just, hey, I have rights. And so I'm going to say what I want to say and do what I want to do. It's if you're trying to violate my rights or you're doing something wrong, um, just because you think that you have the authorities on your side that might makes right and that you're trying to get in good with your tribe or signal to people that, you know, you're truly on board with the program. I'm going to not tolerate it. And I'll give you an example. There's a guy, I never really met him in person. I had one encounter with him 20 something years ago. So I, 2000, maybe it was 2000. And, I, and so, you know, my memory, I'm going to give it to you as best as it holds up, but memory is always a thing 20 years ago. It's why there's statutes of limitations in, in court cases. But Keith Law, who I think he's with The Athletic now, he used to uh, work for ESPN. He used to do work with Rotowire back in the day when I just started around 2000. And at one point, this guy, a lot of times, like when I was there, you know, I would answer emails from people. And there was a guy, just a random reader of Rotowire, emailed in and he had an idea for an article. And it was a good idea. And people used to pitch me stuff and I would just, you know, edit it and help them write it up. And his article was about how in the 90s, whenever a pitcher would go to the Braves, he would suddenly get really good. And whenever he would leave the Braves, he would suddenly get bad like he was before he got to the Braves. So a pitcher would be some mediocre to bad pitcher. The Braves would sign him, a guy like Mike Remlinger or somebody like that. And then when he left the Braves, he would be bad again. But he'd be really good while he was on the Braves. And he just couldn't explain this. And I can't remember how many guys he had. I'm not going to do the, I'm not going to go back and look through all the stats because this is not the sports podcast, but there was like five or six players. He did this for maybe more, maybe like eight and they all got better. And then they all got worse. And he said, what could possibly explain the Braves? And remember the Braves won like 14 titles in a row or something crazy. And of course they had Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz, but still it was like uncanny how good they were and how consistent they were. All their pitchers were good. Their middle relievers were good, good all around. And his hypothesis was that the catcher was setting up a certain way and it was helping the pitchers in some way. And so he wrote the article. I edited it. We posted on Rotowire. I wish, I wish it was still there. This is like literally from 2000. And uh, it, was, it was a good article. It was a very interesting hypothesis. And so in the internal Rotowire message boards, he started shitting on the article and saying that that was ridiculous, that um, this explanation makes no sense that it's multifactorial and there's, and I, I think I said something and again, this is so long ago, like, I don't know, I'd make, it seems plausible to me. And he said, Occam's razor says no way. And he thought that was like some smart shit to say <laughs> Occam's razor. But I actually studied philosophy in college and Occam's razor is the opposite of what he was saying. Occam's razor is the heuristic that usually the simplest explanation is the most likely to be correct. And of course, he thought it was multifactorial and he named all these different factors of what it could be. And the other guy was positing that it was how the catcher was setting up or something like that. Anyway, he, he kind of scurried off after that. But I just remember thinking, this guy's kind of a douche. He's shitting on this sort of contributor article and, and then trying to sound smart, dropping some philosophical term that he actually didn't know how to use properly. Okay, that's my only encounter with him. It's not that big of a deal. I think I muted him on Twitter a long time ago because his political takes were super annoying. But you know, that's not like a, a big thing. Turns out, obviously, that pitch framing is a fucking huge thing and that it's recognized as a skill now from catchers and catchers get paid a lot of money if they're good pitch framers. And, you know, in fantasy sports circles, they're like, oh, I'm going to draft these pitchers because, you know, so-and-so catcher who's an A-plus pitch framer just got signed by the team. So it's hilarious that this guy basically was prescient enough to 
to pick up pitch framing that probably Eddie Perez and who was the other and Javi Lopez might've been good at and uh, way, way ahead of its time. So that, that's the irony of it, that it was actually that the, that what the guy was onto, I think was basically pitch framing and he had found it in the data just as a contributor, never contributed again. I never, I don't even know. I remember the guy's name, but it'd be amazing to dig up the article and read it. Maybe I'm misrecounting because again, it's like 23 years ago. So anyway, that, that's really all I had on Keith Law. But I saw a random post retweeted into my feed by somebody on Keith Law's social media posts. And apparently he was going after nurses. He actually went to the Oregon licensing board to, to try to get a nurse named Nicole Whitley fired. Uh, he was sending her videos to the board examiner. I mean, this isn't just getting you fired from your job, actually. This is worse, right? Like if I got fired from Redwire, I could still work for ESPN. He's trying to get her license revoked. He's sending videos of her spreading what he believed was disinformation. I don't know if it was about vaccines or whatever, but you know they have screenshots of his tweets. I mean, this is not like, they're not making this up in this article. The article is on a website called brokentruth.com. And it has screenshots of him reporting this woman, this Oregon nurse to the licensing board. This was in September of 20, September 14th, 2021. So two years ago. And then he had also uh, on TikTok ported a nurse on August 29th, 2021. He, he saw a TikTok video of somebody with, you know, one of these handles that does not reveal your actual identity and figured out the guy's identity somehow and reported him to the Ohio nursing board. So he was going after nurses for what he thought was disinformation. So this is not personal to me, but because I'm in the industry, I know some people listen to this podcast or in the industry. I feel like this is a different level. Like I don't really, this guy was trying to get people, you know, these people went to nursing school. Nurses typically aren't super wealthy and they went to nursing school. They were already facing a lot of heat probably for their views and a difficult time. And he was actually trying to get them de-licensed according to this post. Now, if that's incorrect, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. These are screenshots of his tweets and posts. So feel free to fact check me on this, but this is disturbing shit. I don't really give a shit who he knows or who he's friends with. And I know he's friends with a lot of my friends and people follow him on Twitter, but I'm just going to say this really fucked up. Again, it's not him just yelling anti-vaxxer at me, which many, many low character people on Twitter did. And I even like go to my company and tag them. But this is a bit way bigger. This is way worse. Going to the licensing. Well, what the fuck is he involved in this shit? He's not, he's not, he's not, he's not a... He's just some uh, baseball guy. What the fuck is he getting involved with going to the licensing board after these people and stifling their free speech? I mean, really, this is sick. So anyway, look it up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. But uh, just figured I would pass that along because kind of people, they need to be held to account. I'm sorry. I, I just, they just need to be. It's, it's, you can't tolerate them because they're just going to do it again. They're just going to make society uh, unlivable. They're going to make society an unlivable place. I mean, think of the, think of what he was doing to those nurses, some nurse he didn't know in Oregon and Ohio, these people, they probably have families. Like I'm not going to go fucking call the athletic up or whatever, but I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's the one case where you're actually doing that to other people where it's actually sort of the, the punishment fits the crime, right? Like if you've actively, and again, it's not just getting fired. For, if he got fired from the athletic, that would just be, maybe you can get a job somewhere else, but you know, these people, he's trying to take away their license. So I don't know, man, fuck. That's really hardcore. People think he's a nice guy. We know him. I've known him for a long time or whatever, but like, 
I mean, you've known him for a long time, but like have some fucking standards. I'm not a perfect person. I'm sure I've done some shit that was douchey in the past, but this is bad. You know, this is fucking bad. Anyway, I wanted to bring that to people's attention. Couple other things. Jacinda Ardern, that ghoul that used to run New Zealand and was one of the worst, said that uh, the unvaccinated were essentially second-class citizens. Now she's got a position at Harvard. Harvard, Stanford, two of the worst free speech offenders. I mean, imagine being an institution of higher learning and you're actually against free speech. You're for policing free speech. Harvard also gave an office to Jeffrey Epstein. Harvard is really kind of disgraceful. But Cinda Ardern got a position there. And of course, she's uh, policing free speech. She called free speech a weapon of war or a weapon of war, as she would say. And her arguments why it was a weapon of war was uh, the utilitarian variety, you know, that that if 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 people wanted to end a war, but the misinformation, the free speech, which contained misinformation was causing the people in the war to think that the war was a good idea, even though it wasn't, then it would be impossible to end the war. Now, this is really ironic because the free speech that's trying to be policed now, right at this current moment, is to actually end this war, to stop funding it, which would end it because it would be over if the U.S. stopped funding it. And the people in her camp actually want this war to continue. So it's a really ironic example to say that it's a weapon of war because if people wanted to end a war and it was about to be ended, but misinformation caused the participants in the war to think the war should still go on, then it would still go on. When exactly that's what's happening based on the misinformation from her own side. And that the actual thing declared misinformation is the uh, information that is seeking to end the war. So this is incredibly ironic. The other example she used was climate change, that you know, if, if we can't stop misinformation, then how are we going to collectively act to prevent climate change? And it doesn't occur to her that, that maybe some of the measures proposed to prevent climate change are themselves rejected by many people. Not everybody fucking agrees with you. And the reason you're trying to censor is because you haven't made the fucking case. People don't give a fuck. I saw a really funny meme on Noster and it's like a father and son. He's like, dad, why don't the Chinese care about climate change? And the father says, because they already have a communist dictatorship. <laughs> I thought it was a good meme. And, you know, look, you may disagree with me on, on the importance of climate change or what causes it. I think there is some changes going on in the climate, but I think it's probably not largely due to man-made activity. I don't think it's due to CO2. I've read stuff from Nobel Prize winning scientists who think the current models on climate change are laughably bad. The predictions that were made in 2000, glaciers melting and everything else have not come to pass so I, I just think it's a scam. You know, it's basically a scam to reduce people's wealth to, you know, I've talked about this before, but basically the debt is so bad right now in the world and the ruling class has siphoned off so much money through money printing and inflation and debt creation that the average person doesn't realize that their bank account doesn't really have the purchasing power it purports. And they're going to have to keep printing money to stave off the realization of that reality. And so one of the ways that they're trying to do that is advocate for people to voluntarily consume less and use less of their claims on the goods and the energy of the world by saying, if you actually 
make good on these claims that you have in your bank account. If you use your money to travel and to build a house and to drive a car and to consume meat and to basically buy the things that you're, that you, that are desirable to you with the funds that you think that you've earned, that that's really bad. And so they're trying to dissuade you from doing that. And that will keep the scam going for a little bit longer. The fact that this debt cannot be paid back to the people to whom it's owed. And this debt is the form of your bank deposits, right? I mean, it, they cannot really honor the bank deposits. They can't say if you have 100,000 in the bank and you feel like that purchases, you know, I don't know, a car and a lot of food and some travel, or maybe it's a down payment on a small house. It's actually not that if everybody tries to use it for that, uh, because it's going to get inflated even more. And it's your hundred thousand isn't really hundred thousand. You know, this is Bernie Madoff, the first people who tried to get their money out from Madoff got it all out. <laughs> it's just that you know, after people started taking it out, uh, not that many people got it out because there wasn't as much money as claimed. So anybody using their money now can still get it. Anybody who is driving a car or putting down payment on the house, it will still be good for now. But if people tried to claim their money, it's just not there. And one of the ways to allay the French Revolution style reckoning that's coming for these people that stole all of your fucking money, that stole all of our collective resources of society is to voluntarily first convince you to consume less and then eventually to force you to consume less, to have 15 minute cities, to have uh, limitations on your travel, to inflate the price of things so that you, your dollar no longer can even purchase this stuff. So this is what's coming and the consequences are going to be dire for the ruling class that stole all this money when people wake up. And so, you know, they're trying to slow it down and they're also trying to give a reason why they can divest you of this for some sort of emergency or climate change. And then also, of course, stop you from finding out through free speech restriction. So this psychopath is, is trying all of this stuff. But if you look at her and her worn face and her lack of charisma and lack of, you know, she's lying. Most people know she's lying. She knows most people know she's lying. I mean, it's a desperate attempt. And I saw a video, I noticed her the other day. I forget the woman who made the video, but it was a good video. And she's saying that, you know, it's scary, all these laws against free speech and what's gone. The UK is insane. And Jacinda Ardern saying this fucking absolutely psychotic stuff. But really you have to look at it the other way around. They're very scared. They're scared that the fact that they've taken all this money, this, this is harder and harder to cover up. The inflation is really putting a squeeze on people. People are angry. They're going to try to do things like destabilize cities with crime and make it so that everybody's sort of just worried for their own safety rather than being able to organize and realize who the true culprit is in the situation. But they're scared. They're terrified. I mean, they know that there's no going back from what they did in COVID. That the, I saw another great meme on Noster, and I'm going to put it in my update your priors uh, Substack piece, which is there's a family on the beach. Their faces are blurred out, but there's like 10 cops around them. They're just like sitting on a beach blanket together, family of three or four. And the caption says, you remember when they made it illegal to go outside with your family? And this is the kind of shit that, that the Jacinda Ardern's of the world were responsible for. And like when the brainwashing wears off and people wake up and they are waking up little by little because nobody goes back to sleep. That's the thing. People might say, oh, there's so few people woken up. All my friends, they still drink the Kool-Aid. But if just one wakes up, that's one less than before. That's one fewer than before. And nobody goes back to sleep. Nobody who wakes up goes back to sleep. So this is, this is a, 
a race is a ticking time bomb for them. When enough people wake up, they're going to have criminal trials. They're going to be sued. They're going to be prosecuted. They are terrified. So the fact that they're trying these extreme measures that, you know, even the, the normies aren't really ready for truly police free speech. I mean, some of them are dumb enough to think that temporarily, but I think, you know, they, they know that even that's just so outside their norms, they're reaching, they should be doing this slowly over 20, 30 years, but they're doing this quickly because they're, they're scared. And I think you need to remember that. And the more of us that can speak up and talk to people and realize like, this is not the norm. Like the norm is free speech. It's the first amendment of the United States constitution. The United States was a great country, not because we're the nicest people or we're the best. No, it's because the axioms on which the country was founded are the best axioms for a prosperous society that the founders of the United States were not lightweight thinkers. They had thought this fucking shit through. They had been in a tyranny. They had found freedom and they had established this after thinking it through and debating it rigorously. These were very intelligent, prescient people. So the first amendment is not, it's not just, Oh, it's whether it does good or bad in the short sighted utilitarian sense. This is a fundamental foundational principle for a prosperous society. And if you, compare America to Europe and some other places, it's just things get done in America because people have incentives. They have rights. They have incentives. It's just got better axioms. And obviously the, the current ruling class is trying to erode those axioms as, as much as possible. And they're being bent a little bit. I mean, there's been some resilience in the courts and there's been some resilience given the uh, federalist system where different states can make different laws, but they eroded a lot of the constitutional rights. People are starting to wake up to that. And when the full extent of what was done is realized the backlash is going to be beyond belief. And so they need to do all of these emergency measures as fast as they can. And they don't know that they're going to succeed. And a lot of people say, Oh, Klaus Schwab, he's an evil mastermind. The one, the one ace in the hole that these people have is they have the money printer, right? The fact that they can basically print infinite money to fund whatever AstroTurf psyops they want to fund is, is a problem. They can give as much money to the CIA as they want. Why is the CIA so powerful? Why is it infiltrating so many different places? Why do they destabilize so many different countries around the world? Because they can just print money off the books and hand it to them. And that's a really powerful thing to have unlimited funds. But these funds are going to get limited as inflation happens, as the debt gets worse. These funds are going to have less and less impact. And that's why Bitcoin is such a dangerous thing for them because it's an out. It's, it's an out and it's also a check on unlimited printing because it's a hard money that can't be printed. And if people start buying it and start skyrocketing value, um, you're going to have a real problem for the, the powerful. And, and in some ways, I actually think that, um, you know, that, that it's going to end for them in, in prosecutions and Nuremberg style trials, but not because um, some rogue military faction overthrew them, but because the funding is going to run out because they're going to inflate the dollar. And people are going to store their wealth in Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, like they're going to be trying to print, but it's not going to be funding the astroturfing of their agendas anymore. And those agendas are going to start to die. They're going to order some new regulation or rule or some new emergency measure. And they're not going to be able to pay the people to enforce it. You need money to pay soldiers. You need money to pay police. You need money to fund Congress. I mean, you need money to fund laws. And if, if that money starts to get weaker, they're just not going to be able to enforce it. And so instead of some big war, you know, which they probably want a war, I saw a Tucker Carlson clip where he thinks war, like a hot war with Russia, US versus Russia is inevitable. 
because that's their only out there. No one's going to go for another pandemic again. He argues no one's going to lock down and put on their mask except the most brainwashed morons of all time. And so their only way to sort of create an environment where, you know, voting is disrupted or the will of the people can be thwarted is to go into a serious hot war with Russia. That's his opinion. I don't know that that's true, but it sounds plausible to me, at least that they would try to do something like that. But in terms of uh, the U.S. government's sort of the hijacking of the Constitution, this is what they swear an oath to is the Constitution. It's not to defend the country from war. It's not to defend the transgender bathrooms. It's not to keep people safe. It's not to vaccinate every last person. That The oath is to uh, uphold the Constitution when the president gets sworn in and they violated that oath. And these people who have done that, I, I think they're going to get overthrown, not by violence, but because the funding's going to run out. You know, it's the... Uh, wrote about this, the great eye of Sauron just runs out of power, runs out of funding, it flickers and goes dark. And then the people who have the hard money say, you know what? We believe in first principles and we're going to repair this damage to the country. And the people who've violated the rights of other people are going to go on trial. They're going to get prosecuted. They're going to get sued at a minimum, but they're going to get prosecuted and they're going to be held to account. And, you know, I think it starts by going on the offense, you know, just saying, look, I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm, I'm not going to tolerate this kind of behavior anymore. I'm not going to tolerate intolerance. And that's that. I actually think that the scarier it sounds from their reactions, the more desperate they are, the more fearful they are. This is like a cornered animal lashing out. And it's dangerous. You can get scratched up pretty good by a cornered animal. So be careful. Try to stay out of the immediate blast radius. But I think Tucker Carlson could be right that instead of lose power. And he said this, he said, the problem with prosecuting Donald Trump and then, you know, Biden would be, I think, justly prosecuted for the Farrah violations of, of Hunter Biden and the fact that Joe received money and was in on some of those phone calls. I mean, I think he should actually be prosecuted. But the problem with turning it into a tit-for-tat prosecution situation, which you see in Banana Republics is, you know, if, if you lose power, you may go to jail, you may get executed. So you will do any dirty trick to stay in power, even launch a war against a nuclear armed power. And that was his point. And that's obviously pretty dangerous. Uh, one last thing, I just want to talk about Nostra for a minute. I encourage everyone to join it. Uh, it's the one place where they cannot uh, decide to curtail your speech. You know, uh, Russell Brand got demonetized from YouTube and sent a letter, they sent a letter to Rumble, an alternative platform to try to get them to kick him off. And Rumble said, absolutely not. We, we, we don't necessarily agree with Russell Brand's commentary, but his commentary has nothing to do with this case. It has nothing to do with us. And we'll absolutely not silence him just based on accusations that have nothing to do with the content that he's putting out on Rumble. And so I thought that was pretty good. But of course, Rumble and even Substack, which has also been pretty good, you know, they can come under pressure. They can isolate and target their owners. They can target their families. They can do a lot of dirty things that make it very hard for the owners of these platforms not to buckle. And, you know, Jack Dorsey buckled and kicked Trump off of Twitter and whatever you think of Trump. Uh, he certainly had a right to post on Twitter and they uh, deplatformed a sitting president when they were still platforming presidents of foreign countries like Iran and stuff. So Jack Dorsey just totally crumbled, but he didn't want to take it on personally. And Elon Musk is taking it on personally, which is admirable to the extent that this is some behind the scenes. I don't trust Elon Musk, but I do obviously side with him on these issues right now. And, you know, this is not something that any individual wants to do is take on the 
united front of all these governments and their agendas, even if you're a multi-billionaire. So I think that, you know, Rumble and, and Substack are eventually, if something's going on on those platforms, that's dangerous enough to the, the people that have the power to do this and have the access to the money printer, I think they will probably succumb to some kind of pressure eventually. But the beauty of Noster is it's a protocol like Bitcoin, like email. It can't, there's, you can't pressure anybody. There's nobody who owns it. There's nobody to lean on. And so this is why I think it's so important because really for this to be huge, if Noster were the size of Twitter or bigger, it'd be a real fucking problem. It would be a really serious problem for the censorship advocates because even if they passed any laws they wanted, they, they couldn't stop it because they couldn't enforce it because the easiest way to enforce it is to punish the, you know, you can, it's like you can punish the drug dealer, but it's very hard to punish every single user of drugs. It's the same thing. You want to go after the, the centralized hub of the activity. And there is no centralized hub with Noster, just like there isn't a centralized hub of Bitcoin. These are freedom technologies. And I think to the extent that these are adopted, you just basically take the power out of the hands of these cartels that, that are willing to violate your rights to achieve their agenda. So I think it's really important. One of my issues with Noster, well, there's a few issues with Noster. It's not perfect yet. Um, one of them is that uh, it's a bit Bitcoin centric. So it's cool. There's a lot of Bitcoiners there. One of the good things about Noster is like most people are awake that are on Noster. In fact, almost everybody. So you can have conversations about real things. You don't waste time debating about whether Dr. Fauci is a good person. And, you know, really they were looking out for your well-being when they locked you down. You don't waste time with stupid debates with people that just refusing to update their priors, basically. You, you don't have to waste time with that. Everybody's fucking updated their priors and debates are about actual things that, you know, are in dispute. Um, and, and there's some interesting debates on there. But you're not you're not fighting with people who are just beholden to uh, some kind of cult. But a couple of negative things about it. So one, it's a little bit Bitcoin centric. So there's not as many topics, but in a way, that's an opportunity, right? I'm like the only sports account that I know of there, and I'm getting followers very slowly. I think I have 14 followers, but that will grow over time. I have 79 followers on my account, and that will grow. When that grows, I'll push people over to my sports account. I'm hoping to have like 150, 200 followers by the end of the year. And on my sports account, maybe 50 by the end of the year. We'll see if I can hit those goals. But there will be. And it's also opportunity because there's a lot of people who are Bitcoiners or whoever. And as it grows, they're going to want sports content. And they're not going to want it on Twitter, a centralized platform. They're going to want to get it on Noster. So I think there's opportunity. And I'm there. And if you want to uh, you know, start a, a little bit of a sports community there, I'm totally down with that. I, I think it's really good. And it's good for the platform. Uh, but the other negative is that there's too many pseudonyms. Uh, I, I'm totally on board with internet anonymity. I think it's good. I think people should be able to be anonymous online uh, to protect themselves, especially if they're saying stuff that is uh, not according to the narrative. And I, and I don't think anybody should ever be doxxed. And if they want to post anonymously, knock yourself out. But I do think posting under your own name is kind of key to adoption. Because if it's just a bunch of nims, even if they're smart and posting good stuff, it's kind of like people aren't really like, yeah, I'm for this. I believe in this. This is my sort of social media hub. This is where you can find me and interact with me. If you're not willing to kind of stand up and do that, it, it kind of diminishes the platform a little bit, I think. So I wish more of these guys would get out in the open and also just to send the message like, fuck you, I'm not hiding. You should hide. I'm not fucking hiding. 
I didn't take the mRNA shot. I declined it. I didn't want it. I didn't feel I needed it. And even though I was, you know, browbeaten and, you know, persecuted is a strong word for me because my job didn't depend on it. And, you know, but I was not allowed to go to a restaurant. I was not allowed to travel. So I'll say I was persecuted for it. And I was insulted by people, you know, publicly in front of my colleagues. And, you know, they were adding, they were tagging my business about shit like that. So I'll say I was a little bit persecuted. There's people way, way, way worse. But like, I, I'm, I'm like, fuck you. You know, I'm not, I'm not okay with that shit that they did that. And, and you know, I wish people would stand up and say, yeah, here I am. Like, I'm not tolerating that shit. You know, I'm not like hiding because I didn't take the mRNA shot. I'm out in the open being like, I didn't take that shit and fuck you for trying to make me. You know, I, to me, fuck you for trying to violate my rights. Fuck you for trying to damage me economically. You're a scumbag and you deserve to be held to account for that. You, you need to apologize at the very least. Again, they, the, the people who came after me didn't even remotely do that Keith Law shit. Uh, but they should at the very least apologize. And, and I'm going to be on the offense. And I think that when you're with the pseudonym, even if you're saying all that stuff, it's almost like, yeah, I get it. Like I'm nervous that one day oh, some of my stuff's going to get canceled or I'm going to get in trouble somehow. Of course I, I think about it occasionally, but I think if, if, if there's only a few people saying it under their real names, you know, it kind of emboldens the, the censors to be like, yeah, see, there's only these few crazy people saying this stuff these pseudonyms and these crazy people. But if more and more people under their own name say, you know, I'm not cool with this. I don't give a fuck if someone's vaccinated or not. This is my name. I'm posting under it. I don't need to hide. The beauty of Noster is even if you're posting under your own name, nobody can really stop you. I mean, they, they, there's no, they can't deplatform you in that sense. Of course, they can stop you. They can put a gun to your head. They can't put a gun to everybody's head. And there's strength in numbers. So I, I just, I do, I do wish more people were posting under their, their own names and you know, I don't know what their real jobs are and I, I can't judge anybody because you don't really know what it is. But I would just say to the extent anybody hearing this is on Noster and you're not posting like the hard, hardcore shit because I, I, I dial it back under my own name. I mean, I don't go all, all in every last thing under my podcast. I mean, I, you know, I try to stay pretty measured. Sometimes that's good anyway because it's more likely to win people over. Might not get as much uh, attention or traffic, but I think, persuasion wise, it might be more effective, but I also, you know, am aware that it's my name. So everything I say, I, I have to be able to defend publicly and I, and I would, so I get it. But unless you're posting like the most hardcore shit or doing the most dangerous research, you know, even Whitney Webb posts under her own name. I think that's her name. She has her own face. So, so I think we should just have more courage and to the extent that it's possible under our present circumstances. All right, that's going to do it. Till next time.